As we turn to your word, we acknowledge, Father, our desperate need for your spirit to take this living word and to breathe it into our hearts. And today especially, Father, we're asking you by the Spirit of God to breathe vision into our hearts because he is, the, he is the source of visions and dreams. Your word says in the last day that people will have visions and dreams. And Lord, we need those visions and dreams. We need your spirit to birth those in our hearts that we may see the future, that we may see what you've seen, called us to do, not with our minds, but with our hearts. And so, Father, we're asking today for the anointing of your Spirit to take this word this morning and to breathe it into our hearts. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm beginning a very, what I believe is a short series called Rivers of Living Water. And uh, uh, we're going to build up to that. Uh, and you'll see why we're talk, calling it that. But today we're going to kind of go in a little different direction, but it's, it's preparing the way for this. We're still really talking about the same thing, which is, which is really we've been talking about it for some time, is what we need as the body of Christ is more of the presence of God, more of the power of God, more of the anointing of God so that we can go forth and do in His power, His will, His direction. And so we've been talking about what's missing. We've been talking about the Spirit of God is what's missing. We went through the day of Pentecost and talked about how the early church went through the same thing. And now we're gonna, I'm going to bring you to something I'm not usually do. It I don't usually do. I'm a teacher. And as a teacher, my primary gift is to take the Word of God, which is why I love having it up on the screens, and break it down for you so that we can all take it home and allow it to impact our lives. Because it's the sowing of the seed of the Word of God, the Bible teaches, that the changes that allows the Spirit of God to bring the change about in us and to help and equip us for what we're here to do, as well as dealing with the issues of life. But, but several years ago, uh, we had a time, and we'll probably do it again at the beginning of this year. We had a time of prayer and fasting here where we came together for three days, I think it was, and we just opened the church up and encouraged people to fast and uh, would come in to pray whenever we could. And then we took Saturday morning as a group and came in here and just spent from 9 to noon praying uh, together and then came together and began to share. I began to share some things that I saw. And on one of these times we did that, God began to open my eyes and and. and and I'm sharing this with you because it began to open my eye to some prophecies in the Old Testament. And I very rarely teach out of the Old Testament, although I do from time to time. But I, I almost don't ever remember teaching a prophecy out of the Old Testament. But I felt led to do this because this is what God showed me I believe He wants to do here. And part of what confirmed it is after I, after I saw these things, I think it was not long after that, Lafayette came in and did a whole series on them, and I never talked to him about what I saw. So I believe this is, this is symbolic or representative of what God wants to do here. And so I w believe He wants to prepare us for that. So with that background, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet of the Old Testament, and Ezekiel's calling was to speak on God's behalf to the children of Israel, after the, actually children of Judah, after they'd been taken into captivity. The Israel was taken, the southern nations, two nations of Judah and Israel, of Judah and Benjamin were taken into captivity for 70 years in, by, into Babylon because they, they profaned God's name. They worshipped idols, and not just in their heart, they worshipped them outwardly. They did horrible things. They adopt, basically, they adopted the worship practices of the world. 
And we consider today and say, well, we'd never do that. And yet I suspect we've done a lot of it without realizing it. We, 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 we're, we, we saturate ourselves in the music of the world, in the entertainment of the world, and let our hearts get filled and saturated with that. And then we turn to that for our comfort. And in a way, that's worshiping an idol. So I'm sharing this because in some ways there's some similarities with where we are as a nation. There's some similarities with where we are as a church. And so God has just pronounced some things He's going to do basically to preserve His own name. Because He says, you've defiled my name among the world. You use my name, but you defile it among the world. You've profaned my name. And for my name's sake, I am going to do certain things to reestablish with the world that I am a holy God, that I am a righteous God and who I am. And then having pronounced that to them, now he's going to give them some hope of what he will do in the future. And so we're going to pick up in verse, 30, in verse uh, 25. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Now this prophecy is specifically being given to Israel, to the nation of Israel in captivity at that time. But if you've studied the Old Testament at all, you find out that especially the prophets, there are often several layers of meaning. So there's the initial message to the people that it's spoken to, but very often there is a secondary message and sometimes a further message which has a meaning for future generations. So there are a number of prophecies in the Old Testament addressed to Israel, but they're called messianic prophecies because they also applied to the Messiah. Isaiah 53 is the most obvious one because it's prophesying about the suffering Messiah that's going to come to redeem them, but it's clearly talking about Jesus coming to redeem all of us, Gentiles and Jews. So these verses we're going to look through not only were spoken for Israel to give them hope, but it's also a prophecy about the new birth about the new birth. So I will sprinkle sprinkle clean water on you and then you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will take your heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I'm going to give you a new heart. There's going to be a change in your heart that takes place. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And then I will dwell in the land and I will give that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now we're not going to turn there, but Jesus is essentially referring to this when, ben, when Nicodemus comes to him in John chapter 3 and, and basically Jesus answers the question that's in his heart. He's saying, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. That word again has two meanings in the Greek. One meaning is anew. So he's talking about a new birth that's to take place in your heart. And the other word also means from above. So I like to combine them together. Jesus is saying you must be born anew, a second time, and this time from above. 
And he's talking about a change, a fundamental change must take place in your heart. Because under the Old Testament, the law was not based on the heart at all. It was based on your outward deeds, whether you did all the things you were, if you washed the cups the right way, if you said the right prayers, if you wore the right clothes, then everything was okay. It had nothing to do with what was in your heart. But the new birth is to come and for God to come into our heart, take our old stony heart out. Stone means hard. Stone means it's not sensitive. Stone means it's dead. Take that old stony dead heart out of us and put a brand new heart in us. And as I've shared over and over again when we give an invitation, that what, we, what God recognizes is the problem that's in us is our heart. The problems, because out of the heart flow the issues of life in Proverbs, uh, it says. Out of the heart flow the issues of life. So God knows I've got to change their heart. If I change their heart, that will eventually work its way to the outside and I'll change their deeds. So that's what he's talking about here. But then he says, and I will put my spirit in you. And that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit coming within us. So with that background, that's the background to the next chapter, which is where we're going to turn. And I went through that to show you that I believe that there's, a, there's an application to this vision we're going to look at to the church, not just for Israel. He, this, what we're going to look at in chapter 37 is, is a vision that God gave to Ezekiel to encourage Israel of what God was going to do for them. But I believe it also applies to the church. And that's, what we're going to, that's the point of view from which we're going to look. So go with me to chapter 37. And the title of these, today's message is Dry Bones or Can These Bones Live? We're just going to start reading down through it and just talk about what the Lord is saying here. So the hand of the Lord came upon me. The hand of the Lord is a, is a, is a term that's often used in the Old Testament for the Holy Spirit. The, for the hand of the Lord came upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. So this is a vision that he's been given. This is a spiritual vision. And we don't know whether it's an open vision or a closed vision. There's two types of visions in the Bible. An open vision is one you see with your natural senses. And, and you may see it, nobody else may see it, but you're literally seeing into the spirit realm with your natural senses. A closed vision is where you see it in your spirit, man, but your eyes are closed and you're not seeing it with your natural senses. We don't know which one this is, but the hand of the Lord, the Spirit of God came upon me and He brought me in the spirit of the Lord. That sounds a lot like Revelation 1, where it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. We need to learn more how to get in the spirit. And But in the Spirit, I did a series, I think, earlier this year about walking in the Spirit. It's being more sensitive and aware of the Spirit on the inside of you than you are what's going on on the outside. You know you're in the Spirit when you, don't, when you lose track of time. If you're praying, like we had a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, if you're praying and every five minutes you're looking, oh God, it's got to be at least 20 minutes, and you look, two minutes, you're not in the Spirit. But if you've been in prayer and all of a sudden you begin to come out of it and you look and say, oh my goodness, it's been an hour, it felt like five minutes, you've been in the Spirit. So when I, when I pray over people, a lot of times the Spirit of God will show me things and they'll come to me, well, what was it you said? I have no idea because it wouldn't go through my mind, it just came out of my spirit. So, I, so this is where he was. He was in the, brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. Now a valley was often a battlefield. 
We've talked about that on Wednesday night a couple of weeks, a number of weeks, months ago. We talked about the battle of David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath. Battles were often fought in the valley. A valley can refer to just kind of a time of dryness in your life. So it has a number of meanings in the Bible and especially in, in prophecies. And it was full of bones. I, I didn't think of it earlier enough. I thought of it this morning to, to get a graphic up here. I may do it next week um, of a, what a valley of bones looks like. Because I want you to begin to pick... Notice it doesn't say skeletons. It says bones. Bones are individual pieces of a skeleton. that are, And in this valley, they're just strewn all over the place. So all the bones are there, but they're just bones. They're all individual pieces. That becomes important for where we're going. And the Lord set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Bones also imply something's dead. Friday night I, had, I did something I almost never do, but I, every once in a while I, I went and I had a rack of ribs. I'm going to lose some of you here. And when I was done, there was a plate of bones. <laughs> All the meat was gone. <laughs> and it was a plate of, this is a valley of bones. A valley of bones, verse 2. And he, the Spirit of God, caused me to pass by them all around. So he's not standing on the top of the mountain looking down, looking at from a distance and saying, whoa, look at those bones. The Holy Spirit's directing Ezekiel. This becomes important to us. He's directing Ezekiel to walk among whatever this represents, to see all the different bones and to walk among them. We may not realize that but on, when we come together, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is walking among us. He's going up and down between the, the rows, and He's going up and down the aisles, looking at what you're doing on your phone right now. <laughs> no, my point is He knows us. He knows where we are. And behold, there were very many, what, bones, in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. So the picture here is you've got this vast valley, and it's strewn all through the valley are bones, not skeletons, bones, disconnected bones, and they're dried up. And the significance here is that is about as dead as you can get. The only thing left were the bones. And the marrow was dried up. They're dried up, dead, bleached bones. And this is clearly referring to Israel's spiritual state at the time. Verse 3. And he said to me, this is God speaking to... to oh look, God, often, God often asks us questions. And I, you've heard me say this many times. God never asks a question to get information. Some of you looking at me, you understand that. The only reason you have to ask a question to get information is because you don't already know the answer. God knows everything. He knows everything for all time and all at once. So God doesn't need to get an answer from you because He, oh, my goodness, Tim, I didn't realize that. Oh, thank you for sharing that with me. No, God asks questions for our benefit. When He asked Adam in the garden, we came down in chapter 3, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. 
He wanted Adam to admit where he was. So God asks us questions often to show us something. And that's what's going on here. He said to Son of Man, can these bones live? So Ezekiel, he's got Ezekiel looking at this hopeless state of Israel. Bones, not skeletons. No, you could not identify which bone belonged to which bone. There was no map. There was no diagram. You know, some, you, know you, you, could, you could recognize skulls. And if you were trained enough, you could rec- recognize a, a femur from a, from a tumor, from a radial. You know, you could recognize the different bones, but you don't know which ones they belong to. That is hopeless it can get. And God's question, having him now shown him something that looks hopeless, God's saying, can these bones live? So we know he's, asked, telling, he's asking Ezekiel a question because he's going to show something, him something. And so Ezekiel answers the way we would all honestly answer, saying, I don't know. (laughs) Only you know, God. Don't ask me questions that you have the answers to, that you know I have no way of knowing the answers. Only you know, God. Oh, Lord, you know the answer to that. So he's setting him up. And this is the... Well, I'll get into this later on. Verse 4. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Hey, think about that a second. Now, some of you speak to things, like your car when it doesn't start, if you come out and find a flat tire in the morning, your hair when it doesn't go where it's supposed to go. One of the reasons I feel so free is like I don't have to spend time trying to get my tie where I want it to get. And always when I was running late, I tie my tie, and the, and the little end was longer than the front end, you know. And it's like, and then you got to use it. So, so, so we speak to things, except when it comes to the Word. And the Word tells us to speak. Jesus said, speak to a mountain. Most of us let the mountain speak to us. But we, in, 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 uh, in Romans 4, one of the things that, uh, that Abraham understood is that God calls things that be not as though they are. God speaks to things. That's how everything was created. And in, uh, well, I don't want to get off on this. So he's saying, you've got a hopeless situation, dead as it can get, disorganized as it can get. The only thing we know is they're all here, but they're disorganized and they're dried up and they're dead. So here's what you do. Speak to it. Prophesy. And say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> oh, I'll wait and talk about that later. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. Now notice the order there. God's saying, Prophet, you speak to the dead bones. And as you speak to the dead bones, I will cause breath to enter you, to the bones, and you shall live. Verse 6. And I will put sinew on you and bring flesh upon... Sinew, if I understand correctly, and if we got doctors here, you can correct me later, is what holds the bones together. You can't just lay them next. They've got to be held together. And it put flesh on you, that's the muscle, and cover you with skin. So the sinew here is referring to here 
holds the bones together so that they can operate together. He's talking about taking the bones and putting them with the right bones so that they can be a form to them, that they can be, have an identity to them. And when you cover it with skin, the skin provides a protection, but also provides an identity. So if you see an old skeleton, you can't tell who it is, whether it was Aunt, Uncle Harry or Aunt, and, you know, Uncle, Uncle Harry, Aunt, Aunt, you can't tell who it is. <laughs> but you're still, okay, so you've got the bones held together, you've got some muscle on them, now they're covered with skin, but it's still dead. And I will put breath in you, and you shall live, and then you shall know that I am the Lord, because I've done this. Because I've done this because I've done this. So that's what God's telling Ezekiel that he wants him to do. Ezekiel's role is to prophesy over it. And as he prophesies, God said, I will begin to put the bones together. As he prophesied, he said, I will begin to do this thing. So let's go down and read and see what happens here. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, clattering. The bones began to rattle. And suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. In other words, each bone began to find what it was originally joined to. Now keep in mind, they're scattered all over this valley. So the left forearm maybe at one end of the valley, and the, and the right forearm maybe at the other end of the valley, but that's not too hard for God. Amen. See, God knows where the pieces are. Amen. Oh, this could preach. God knows where the pieces are. God knows where the pieces are, and God knows how to bring them together. God knows how to bring them together. And there was a noise, and suddenly, and the bones came together, bone to bone, so that that left forearm that was at this end of the valley gets up and starts rattling and the right forearm was at this end gets up and and they find each other in the middle and they connect to the upper arm and the elbow and the shoulders and these bones begin to find their right place with the original with the original skeleton and get connected and then once they're connected together then what happens is verse 8 and as I looked, the sinew and the flesh came upon them, and the sin, skin, not the skin, sin, the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. So here are the different stages. When we start out, you've got all the pieces there. It's like the, oh, this is good. It's like the pieces of a puzzle. Ever see those thousand piece puzzles? And what you do is you turn it out, you just dump it out on the table. And it's just, some of them are upside down, they're just all over the place. And the, the goal of that is to take the, take the puzzle pieces and connect the correct puzzle pieces with the correct matching piece. And one of the ways to do that is to, they'll put the picture on the cover of what this is to look like. So you have the model, oh, this is good. You have the model, because I know where we're going. You have the model, if I stop talking, we'll get there. The model of what this is supposed to look like when the correct pieces are joined together. Okay, so here, God, because the prophet spoke to them, God's put them together now, but there's still no breath in them. 
it's still a dead nation. Okay? All right. So let's read on. Verse 9. So he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Now the word breath in Hebrew is the word ruach, R-U-A-C-H, which can mean breath, it can mean wind, or it can mean spirit. He said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man, and say to the breath, so he's talking about the spirit, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, verse 10, and the breath came, the wind came, the spirit came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to them, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, and they indeed say, our, they say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you to the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I've opened your graves, O my people, and brought you from your graves, and I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, thus says the Lord. In that time of prayer and fasting, I felt the Lord began to speak to me and began to ask me a question. He began to show me where the church was. And it's not just this church. It's by and large the church in the United States and in some other parts of the world. Began to show me and my heart began to grieve. And, and he began to ask me this question. He's saying, son, can these bones live? Is there hope? Can these bones live? The problem is, and we're going to talk about this at the end, most people don't know that they're not spiritually alive. I'm not talking whether you're born again or going to heaven. I'm, I'm talking about more than that. We don't know where we are spiritually. And as a result, we think we're fine. And so God began to show me into hearts, starting with my heart. And I began to cry out, God, can these bones live? And he took me to this. And he told me, he says, begin to speak. And this is what we've been doing over these weeks. It's called prophecy. Now, not all prophecy says, Oh, thus saith the Lord God Almighty, ruler of heaven and earth. Thus says the Some preaching is prophecy. Prophecy is when you're speaking on God's behalf and there's anointing and power to cause it to come about. And what the Lord was showing me, he says, as you begin to speak these things, as you begin to call forth the vision, what, what did he do with Ezekiel? As he spoke, God began to breathe. God began to move things. And what was the beginning of it? He began to get, so what the Lord showed me is, is the church is like a valley of dried bones. Because on a Sunday morning, we may be 650, something like that, 700 individuals that come to church. We all come to our church, we have our experience, we say hello to our friends, we hug them, so this bone hugs that bone, says glad to see you, love you, and 650 bones go back out the door. And we wonder where the power is. This was a defeated army, because when he was finished with them, they rose up again as a mighty army. And we're in a spiritual war. Yeah. 
in this nation, in this world, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. It's not about Republicans and Democrats. It's not, and I'm, saying, I'm not saying one is God and the other is the devil. It's not about those issues. There's something far more important, far more eternal that's behind what's going on in the world today. It's the spiritual work, this war that's going on in the world today. And the only army that God has to win this war is His church, which is why we're all here. And not just this church, all churches that are real churches. But the problem is we have no power. So we're threatened by what's going on in the world. They start passing laws. You can't do this. You can't do that. We go, oh no, we can't do that. You can't. I love what Marilyn said. I think it was on a, in the seminar. And Lafayette said the same thing. They can't stop us from praying in school. They can't stop you from praying. You don't have to open your mouth and be loud about it. But they can't stop you from praying. I pray in the supermarket. I pray almost wherever I go. A lot of times I'm just praying in the spirit. But I'm praying. So, it, what's missing? We're a bunch of bones, dry bones, that come to church scattered all over. And so, God's saying, there's hope to me, because I want to bring the bones together. And I want to bring the pieces together so that they're where they're supposed to be. And then I want to strengthen them and put sinew on them and put muscle on them, spiritual muscle. Put skin over them so there's an identity. And then I want to breathe. This is what we've been talking about. Breathe the Holy Spirit, the breath of life, the power of life so that the church can go forth in power. So this applies to the church today, I believe. I believe with all my heart. So let's go through. So, But what he showed me is as you, as you speak the vision out, that's prophesying. And as you prophesy, I will cause this to come about. I will cause this to come about. And notice it was as the prophet spoke that these things began to happen. And I remember at the time I was hearing little things, little signs and little, you know, and, you, and, I, and the Lord says, it's the noise beginning. It's the noise beginning. I hear little signs now about even people, because again, I've shared with you over and over again. If you want to go to a kindergarten church, you need to find another church. Because my responsibility to God is to feed you and strengthen you and equip all of us, me too, so that we can grow and mature. I'm going to show you this in a minute. So that we can do what we're here to do. So that we can be mature, grown up Christian. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. All right. Can these bones live? God was challenging him to look at what looked hopeless. And his answer was the obvious. Only God knows. God's answer was for Ezekiel to speak to the dead bones, to speak on behalf of God. God was speaking through a man. And there was power in what was being said. And he was declaring to them what God was going to do. What God declared he was going to do, he did. And the order is, first of all, the order is, the bones had to come together. You had to get the skeletons put together. One of the things I felt the Lord tell me a number of years ago, because I said, why am I here? I mean, I ended up in this position when I was 63, and I was already planning another phase. I was planning. My wife and I were planning another phase of our life in ministry, but it wasn't what God had in mind. And and I began to say, God, why am I here? 
I mean, other pastors at mine usually started their church. They built the church for 40 years, like Pastor Sam Smucker we've had here. You know, but what am I here to do? One of the things the Lord took me to is where Paul t- tells to, to, to uh, uh, Titus, he said, I'm sending you to Crete to put things in order. Put things in order. Order is a very important thing with God. There's a divine order to things. And when things are not in the right order, there's no power. Things don't flow right. There's an order in our heart. We've talked about that lately. The God must be first. And this is one of the things God's dealing with me about, so get ready. (laughs) God must be first above everything else. He's a jealous God. There's there's an order for your finances. We're going to get into that next year. There's an order for your finances. There's an order for your time. There's an order for things. And when we do it with God's order, God's blessing and God can work through that order. I was explaining to somebody yesterday, it's like, it's like if you fill up your, the, the, the basket or basic, whatever it is, in your washing machine. And some of them now are, are dryer. Not the washing machine. And you get all the towels on one side. If it's not balanced out, what happens? When, you start going through the, when it goes through the spin cycle because it's out of order, it's out of balance, the whole thing shakes like this. And that's what it's like when your life is out of order. There's shaking going on. There's no stability going on. So what do you do? You open it up and you rearrange things so that they're in a a healthy order and then it can do its job correctly. And that's what it's like. See, when the Spirit of God, see, see, He's preparing us for for the power of the Holy Spirit because if things aren't, if we're not in order, it's destructive. Remember Ananias and Sapphira. The Spirit of God was present in such great power and they came to church, they received an offering and they just lied about what they gave and died on the spot. So, you know, we've got to think twice whether we really want this because things have got to get in order because He's a holy spirit. He's the holy spirit of God and He will bring holiness, which you don't hear a lot about anymore except in the kingdom of God. Holiness. And so, so he's got to get, just as the bones had to get in the right place, they couldn't start marching if they were just a bunch of femurs and radiuses and ulnas and whatever other bones they are. They had to get in the right place. They had to get where they were assigned to. And so the very first thing is getting things in order. And then when they're in order, God can begin to build on them, first of all, something to hold them together so they don't get out of joint and dislocate it. Then He can begin to put muscle, which is the strengthening of it. And then He can begin to put skin on it. So there's an identity. So there's a, there's a protective covering on it. And then when that's done, then He can breathe His breath of life, His power into us. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, everybody okay? Everybody still here? That was fewer. <laughs> Last year we had a, some sessions as the leadership. And we discussed about where we're going and how we're doing ministry and, and recasting the vision and that's why you'll see signs around here, reaching, teaching, connecting, you know, simplify what we're all about. And I remember coming into a discussion where I had been out for a week, I think, and the group was meeting, and I walked in, and they were coming up with these ideas, and I said, wow, that's really great. 
But let me ask you a question. What's your scriptural foundation for that? Because if what we do isn't founded on something God's told us in His Word to do, we're just like a corporation or a business. We've come up with some kind of mission plan to fulfill our purposes. But the church is not a business. It's not a corporation. We legally have to have a corporation, and we legally have to do some business things so that our finances are healthy so we can do what we need to do. But we are literally the work of God. We are the hand of God. And so our purpose has to be His purpose. And so what I've always gone back to and what we went back to then is these verses in chapter 4 of Ephesians. We're going to start in verse 11. And he himself, this is talking about Jesus, if you look earlier. He himself, he gave, he himself gave some, he's talking about gifts to the church, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. So these are gifts that are given to the church. And they're given in the form of gifts that are given in individuals. So some of these gifts are in the form of apostles. Lafayette Scales is an apostle. Some are prophets. Marianne Brown was a prophet. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And those words tend to be combined. Why are they given to the church? For, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints... If you haven't been here very long, we need to understand, especially if you've come out of certain traditions, that the saints are not people that are in stained glass windows that we worship. Saints are the believers. So if you're in Christ, you're a saint. That doesn't mean you're acting saintly. <laughs> saint just means sanctified one, one that's been set apart. And what sets you apart is you're in Christ and you're no longer a part of the world. So he's talking about all of us as believers. So the, these five ministry gifts are given to the church to do something, what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The word equipping there is an interesting word because it comes from a word that was, taught, that was used for when, when their fishing nets were torn. They would go out fishing and that was the basis of their livelihood in many of these communities that, where Jesus called these disciples from was fishing. And they didn't go out there with hooks. They went out there with these nets and they would drag these nets through the water and then they would pull them in and they would separate out the fish that they wanted from all the other stuff that they pulled in. And some of the things that they pulled in would cut through the nets and they would get worn and just the water would break them down. So they would find, in fact, I think in one account, Jesus finds some of his disciples mending their nets. So what they would do is when they come out of the water, they would inspect the net. And if there were holes in the net, if there were, if there were tears in the net, that means that, that, the, that, that the, the next catch was going to get slipped through the nets and they wouldn't get the fullness out of it. So they would mend the nets. That's what that word equipping means. It means to make whole. And I like the, the application of the nets because that means because there's a harvest there's a, there's a, there's a haul of, of fish. Jesus told him, I'm going to make you fishers of men. There's a haul of fish that he wants to bring in. And the net is, the, is us. And if there's tears and holes in the net, we're not as efficient in bringing it in. So the ministry gifts are given to help equip, mend these nets, bring together. And again, it's a healing. It's a bringing together of the pieces to be joined together. To equip the saints... To do the oh here's a four-letter word in the Bible. Oh my goodness, we have a four-letter a four-letter word in the Bible. W-O-R-K. To do the work of the ministry. Let me tell you what work does not mean. 
it doesn't mean just sitting in a blue chair. Just coming to church is not the work of the ministry. Actually, that Greek word work is energeo, which implies applying energy, doing something. So the ministry gifts are given to equip the saints, strengthen them, equip them, bring them tighter together, mold them together so that we all of the saints can do the work of the ministry. The model that's out there in so many churches, so many denominations, is that the ministry is a profession. Now, before I was a pastor, I was a lawyer. That's a profession. There's special training for that. But the ministry is not a profession. Because a profession implies you're a professional minister. The word minister just means servant. Actually, one of the words for, for ministry is a word that means table servant. So the next time you go to a restaurant, you're being waited on by a minister. What does the minister do? He takes your order, what you need. He goes to the kitchen where the chef, the skilled chef, has bought and prepares your meal, and then the table waiter brings your meal to you. He's just the one that gets what you need, goes gets what you need, and brings it back to you. We're table waiters. That's what we are. We're table. We're servants. Paul says, I'm a bond servant. He doesn't say, I'm the apostle Paul. I'm a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the equipping of the saints so that the saints, not the professional minister, see the, the model that so many churches have is, well, we pay the professional so that he can do the work of the ministry and our job is to pay him and his job is to do the work. That's not what the Bible says. We're being cheated when we do that. And the people we're called to minister are being cheated when we do that. For the edifying, for the building up of the body of Christ, for the strengthening of the body of Christ. That word edify has two meanings to it. It means, it means to strengthen, to take what's there and to strengthen it. My wife and I belong to a gym and we go to the gym sometimes. We go to, <laughs> she goes regularly. I, I do my walking outside now and then my exercise. But in the cold weather, when the weather's bad, I'll go with her. And you see all these people and what they're doing is they're, they're pumping and doing this and they're doing this, you know, and they're doing... And what are they doing? They're not going to get new muscles by doing that, but they're going to take the muscles they have and they're going to develop them and strengthen them. So one meaning of the word equip or edify is to strengthen and tone up what's already there. And you know how that happens? That doesn't happen by sitting there in the gym and watch everybody else sweat. <laughs> There's a pastor I've known of that, that said uh, he was just really skinny and he said, I just, you know, I wish someday I could, you know, really, you know, fill out a jacket. And his friend says, you can do that, just go get a set of weights. So he did. And they're sitting in his upper study room and he said that man lied to me I've had those set of weights for years and I don't, I don't have any more muscle than I had then because there's a detail they overlooked it's not having the weights it's using the it's working the weights it's not having the word in you it's not coming to church 
You got to have the word in you. You got to have the muscle, but it's what you do with it. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, because if you only hear the word, if you only have the weights, you deceive yourself. Because you think that by having the weights, I'm going to get strong. For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry, for the edifying. Now, the word edify not only means to take what's there and strengthen it, give it tone and strength, but it also means to increase the size of what's there. So edifying the church, edifying the body of Christ, means to strengthen what's here. Mature us, strengthen us. And what we're doing is an exercise to do that. But it also means increasing it, which means bringing in others into it so that we grow in size, not just in strength. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, now I told you about the puzzle. You take a puzzle, you dump it over. If you're just trying to put that together without a picture or a model, it's much more difficult. So if you're just trying to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, for what purpose? I mean, what's the goal? What's the image out there? One of the things I did as a lawyer, I, I worked in, uh, one of the fields I worked in was commercial real estate. And I was often involved in, in the, the process of, of negotiating contracts for the construction of large buildings. And one of the first things you would do is you would locate either your general contractor or your project manager, and they would hire an architect. And the architect would sit down with you and hear what it is you want to do, kind of get your vision, your idea, and then they would come up with some rendering, some sketches of what they think that would look like that's both functional and also has some, some aesthetic appeal. And then when they were, you, you accepted that's okay, that's the conceptual idea. Then they would come up with detailed, we did this for this, or we did this changes. They would come up with construction drawings. And what that does is when the contractor comes out with his, with his riveters and his steel man and his concrete, he's not, they're not sitting there saying, I wonder what we should do next. Well, let's see, what, should we, what do you think we ought to do? Well, I kind of feel like, let's, let's, let's put the steel up first. And somebody else says, yeah, but have we poured a foundation? Well, we'll get to that later on. No, 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 no. They're very detailed plans all of which are measured back against those original drawings, which is the image of what this thing's supposed to be and what this thing's supposed to be like. Okay? Well, God works the same way. God has a vision. That's what we're talking about. A vision of what, of what the church should be. He has an image and a goal of what this edification, what the work is supposed to produce when it edifies us of what the edifice is supposed to look like. And notify, he says, the edifying of the body of Christ. So instead of a building, it's a body that we're coming to. Verse 13. Till we all come, say all come. Each bone. To each bone, all come to the unity. That means together of one heart and of one accord. Just as the bones were all spread out before anything can happen, they have to be joined together to the right pieces, the right bones. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, that means we're all in agreement on what we believe, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That means we all, remember in the prophecy in Ezekiel, he said, and then you will know me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. 
So we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of knowing God, the Son of God. Look at this, to a perfect man. Well, Pastor, nobody's perfect. Well, the word perfect there doesn't mean without defects. It means matured and complete. Till we all come through the unity of faith and the knowledge of God to a mature man, all together. That's like the bones coming together, getting in the right form. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the picture on the puzzle box that God has of us. Now, it's not that we're all individually Christ, but collectively we are the body of Christ. And the ministry gifts are given to equip the saints, all of us, so that we can do the work (laughs) of the serving so that God can bring us all to a place of unity, of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature man together. In other words, God wants us to grow up. And what's His standard? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We were using as, a, as the model prayer that we were going through in this last series is that Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus is that God would strengthen them by their, His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may be dwell in them, fullness, and it be full with all the fullness of God. God's goal, God's vision for Faith Christian Center, God's vision for His church is that we be filled with all of His fullness, that if people come in here, they would experience Christ. If people come in contact with you, they would experience Christ wherever you go, and where two or more of us are gathered together, there's more of that fullness of Christ. This is God's purpose for the church. This is God's purpose for the five-fold ministry gifts. This is why I'm here. This is why we bring who we bring in here, is to see if they can add to this. Verse 14. That we should no longer be children. Oh, no. we got to grow up? The biggest problem I find with most Christians, and God's dealing with me about it too, it's really simple. We just have to grow up. That went over really big. We just, you know, so many times it's all about me. I'm feeling sorry for myself. We whine about things didn't work out the way I wanted to happen. This isn't what I want. This isn't the way I want. That's what they do in our K4 and K5 class here. By the time they get to 7th and 8th grade, which I've got for public speaking class, yeah, I explained to them the second time, you know, you're 7th and 8th graders. Go to the bathroom before class and after class. You can make it for 50 minutes. 4th grade, no, 4th, 4-year-olds, I understand. So start acting like who you are. And this is what Paul's pattern is. This is who you are. Act like who you are. No longer children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Most of the reasons people get drawn off and, 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 and distracted by all the craziness going on, and I'm talking in the church, confusing, is that they're not mature. I heard one preacher say it this way. They came up to him and says, because he's on television, says, Wow! It's you! 
He says, if you're that impressed with me, you really don't know Jesus. If things move you so easily, you really don't know, don't yet really know Jesus. That in the knowledge of God. Okay. Next verse, 15. But here's the method. Speaking the truth in love. This is what I'm endeavoring to do. Speak the truth, but in love. Because it applies to me as much as it applies to you. That we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. That we may grow up into all things into Him who is the head, Christ. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, look at this, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Just as those bones had to be brought back together. That he's in, in, in the New Testament, the Spirit of God is saying to us, if we're going to do the work, if we're going to represent Christ, we have to have a unity, we have to be one body together, and that means each part, each bone of the body has to take its place and be rightly connected to the place it's connected to. So Why? By what every joint supplies. So every joint, every bone is supposed to supply something. Every joint, every bone is called to supply something. We shouldn't have to stand up here and say, we need children's workers. We, need ch-. we should have people standing up in line saying, what do you want me to do? 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 According to the effect of working, which every part, here's that word working again, which every part, as every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love for the edifying of itself in love. I want to read something to you. I'm not going to have time. I believe that the vision of the dry bones that God was showing me applies to the church. Because I believe to a large extent that we're a great church. That you're great people. And, and, but, but here's the issue. What does God see? If we're, if we're comfortable where we are, then we've closed our eyes to what God has to, to say to us. God wants to mature us into the image of Christ, not into a good church. I'm going to say that again. God's vision, God's goal, God's purpose is not that Faith Christian Center be a great church. Then that's about us. God's goal and God's vision is that this part of the body of Christ be filled with all of who He is. That we be the image of Christ wherever we go. I want to read down quickly. We don't have much time. I want to read down quickly. In Revelation, Jesus spoke, appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos. I mentioned that at the beginning. And He had him dictate a a separate letter to each of seven churches in Asia Minor. And the last letter He writes is to me the most disturbing. But it's in here. And I'm reading this for a purpose. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, this is Revelation 3.14, write these things, the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works. Oh, there's that word again. I know what you've done. I know whether you stayed in a blue chair or whether you got out of the blue chair. And look at this, that you were neither cold nor hot. You come to church, we go to church, but there's no passion. Look at this. I wish you were either cold or hot. Jesus said, I'd rather have you cold 
Because when you're cold, you know you're cold. When you're hot, you know you're hot. When you're not, you know you're not. <laughs> when you're lukewarm, you don't know. You think you're warm. And this is the danger. So then because of your lukewarm, because you're luke, uh, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit or spit you out of my mouth. I'm not going into that about what that means because I don't really understand it. But here's what I want to get. Because you say, I'm rich and I become wealthy and I have need of nothing. In other words, we're a good church. I'm a good Christian. I come to church twice a month. I give my tithes and sometimes I read my Bible every day. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to me. I come more than once, twice a month. But I've had God challenging me about what the priorities of my life are. What, what, what have I given my heart over to? What are the things that, what place does His work and His, his, his heart, His desire have in my life? And so when we say, see, God will deal with us when we humble ourselves. It's when we resist Him and say, I don't need anything. We're fine. He says, and you say, you have need of nothing, but I know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This is what I see. So my question to God is, how do you see me? You love me, so if you correct me, it's because you love me. If He corrects our church, it's because He loves us. That you're really wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, let's get out of that one. Here's what I counsel you to do. See, He didn't throw them out. He said, I counsel with you to buy me gold refined by fire, that you may be rich with white garments and that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. What's that talking about? Because there are things that are, have eternal value. There are things that are, that are there's, there's clothing, not this clothing, but there's, there's a clothing that you can have. There's, there's, there's wealth that you can have that's not of this world, that's of the kingdom of God. What, what, are, we, what are we investing in? Are we investing in the kingdom of God or are we investing in our 401k? It's not bad to have a 401k, but that's only temporary. Are we sending our treasures on ahead of us? Are we treasuring what He treasures, which is lives, souls, people? What are the things that upset you and irritate you? I'm talking to me as much as you. And yet I drive by every day souls that are lost and that doesn't move me the way the patriots losing might move me. I'm not prophesying there. What are the things that really upset you? What are the things that really move your heart? And are those the things that touch God's heart? That's what he's talking about there. And they'll anoint your eyes and your eyes have that you may see. Verse 19. As, oh, this, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So he's speaking to us because he loves us. Not because he's mad. Therefore, here's what we're to do. Be zealous and Repent. Admit where we are, change where we are. So the, this is all about God. If you're saying we're dry bones, we're dry bones. I'm not going to argue with you. Remember the woman which, which came to Jesus, the Syrophoenician woman, whose daughter was, was possessed by demons, and she brought him to it, and Jesus, after a number of things, said, I didn't come, just to, I didn't come, I didn't come to minister to the dogs. He called her a dog. She didn't argue with him. said, what are you saying to my dog? She says, yes, Lord. She didn't argue with him. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs under the table. So Lord, whatever you're saying, that's where we are. I want to face where we are because I want to change and grow. That's what moves him. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Be zealous 
and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. Pastor, what's, what's all this about? Several months ago, we started a series which talked about a crossroads. God challenged me this summer. You're at a crossroads in your own life. You're at a crossroads as a church. You can either have church and have an experience together where you're all blessed and enjoy one another and the church may grow and expand and have a bunch of people blessed, or you can be the church. Be who I've made you to be. To be that, we have to be willing to change, grow, mature, allow Him to challenge us, allow Him to correct us, allow Him to work in our heart. And if we allow Him to, He's very gentle. If we allow Him to, He's very patient. He only got upset at Israel when they became stiff-necked and hardened their hearts. And I believe with all my heart there's God wants to form us. But to do that, He's got to get, we've got to be willing to have the bones connected together. He, he, we've got to be willing to have God sit us next to somebody we don't like to sit next to. We have to, we have to be willing to have God tell us to sit up front. <laughs> Not that, Lord, anything but that. We have to be willing to have God place us where He wants us. Not where we're comfortable or what we like. And that's just the beginning. That's the bones getting connected to the right bone. And then if we're willing to do that, He can begin to cause the, the, the connective tissue to form. He can begin to f- cause the muscles to form. He can do that. We've got to be willing as bones. So there's a rattling going on. There's a noise going on. And sometimes when God does this, it's noisy. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Because God will confront our comfort zones. And boy, is He confronting mine. He is confronting my comfort zones. And He's put the added weight on me that if I don't do this, you won't either. I have to do it first. But there's so much at stake. And the blessing is so wonderful. It's a taste of heaven on earth to be filled with the presence of God. To be filled with the presence of God. So that people... I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. Because next time, we're going to get into what happens after this. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Let's pray. Father... Sometimes your word is exciting and talks about our blessings. Sometimes your word (coughs) cuts right through and separates the thoughts and intents of the heart. Your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. But you do this because you love us. Because there's a call upon our lives as a church. And Satan would work to separate us and divide us and cause division. And, and, and you, Spirit, is here, the Spirit of unity, to bring us together. But the beginning of that is to acknowledge where we are or to be willing to acknowledge where we are. To be willing to acknowledge and let you shine the light of your Spirit into our hearts. 
and not argue with you, but, but, but trust you. You're not here to condemn us. You're not here to, 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 to destroy us. You're here as a loving father to challenge us, to discipline us, to train us, that we might grow up and mature individually as Christians, as fathers and mothers, as husbands and wives, as children, as young adults, that we may mature together as a church and no longer live our lives for ourselves, no longer exist for ourselves, but to turn our lives over to the one who died for us and gave himself for us. Only by your spirit can these things happen, Father. Breathe on us. Breathe on us, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.